0: how are you doing, Sixto? I'm good. I'm really good. Do you know, I found 30 pounds lying on the floor this morning, which I thought was absolutely such a good way to start my day. Wow. Whereabouts? Outside or inside? Literally, no, outside on the street. And the thing is, right, normally I like to be a good civilian and I look around and I'm like, okay, who who dropped this but the street was empty because it was like quite early i was like going out to get some milk <laughs> and it was empty so i'm like i feel like it's now my duty to claim these 30 pounds yeah there and no one to claimed them no
1: one else is coming to get that
0: yeah i mean they might be fake but they look real they're like the plasticky stuff right that's yeah and they're shiny so well as
1: long as it's not a 30 pound note and is actually a 20 and a 10
0: yeah, yeah, it's 20 that time. <laughs> oh, God, imagine.
1: Oh, incredible. So cool. how's your yeah. your week been in terms of have you watched anything? Have you played anything? Have you done anything of, of note that people would care about?
0: So I've not really played anything, which is kind of shocking for me, mostly because I've just been kind of busy. But the free time that I have had... I've spent it rewatching Neon Genesis Evangelion <laughs> <laughs> because, as some of you might know, the final film after 10 years since the third film is coming out August 13th. So I've decided to rewatch the whole series and then I'm going to rewatch the movie series because you can't just watch the movie series because even though it's allegedly a reboot, there's also plenty of stuff in there to suggest that it's a sequel to the first. Series, so you know, I don't know how, how versed are you in Evangelion. Like,
1: just have you watched it? Just about it? to say, I'm, I'm not even a little bit versed. In it. I think all I know is that it's,
0: it's a giant mech. As far as I know, it is, and this is now that I'm almost done on my second viewing. Definitely the best anime I've ever seen. Potentially the best narrative like storytelling in any medium that i've ever seen i am obsessed with it it is incredible yes there is a big mac in it there's actually three big macs in it but it's so much more than it is it think like um twin peaks level of mindfuckery and sort of artsiness on a mainstream anime level if that makes sense like they go really bizarre really out there very deep like the first time you watch it there's just no way you're going to understand what's happening by the end because it's just a lot and it's also very emotionally overwhelming. Like I felt empty for weeks on end after finishing the series. Oh, wow. Because it is not Pacific Rim. It is not something like Gundam. Like it is not a happy tale. Let me just, just so you're aware, it is a deeply depressing story that came from a very deeply depressed man in the 90s um i think you need to watch it i actually think it's right up your alley and you need to watch the series first and then the rebuild movies which will all be on amazon prime in august so with the series being on netflix and then the rebuild on amazon prime you have no excuse not to watch it it's incredible i actually think you're really gonna like it
1: okay i'll definitely definitely give that a watch that does sound like something that's bizarrely up my alley um yeah, I'd, I'd always heard of it, but for some reason I'd always misconstrued it with Gundam in the sense of this giant mech thing. And then obviously, then you lead into, oh, is this just what Pacific Rim was based off of? And am I just going to see giant monsters versus giant robots? And
0: there is, oh, sorry, go no, on. I'm just,
1: I'm just, I'm just thinking about where else I was going to go with that. And I think that's as far as I get with Pacific Rim as well: giant monsters, giant robots.
0: Yeah, there is definitely giant monsters and giant robots. And there's actually, Pacific Rim definitely took a lot from here. Uh, I mean, Pacific Rim takes a lot from the entire mech genre anyway. But there is, like, the whole, like, synchronizing with the robot. And, like, if your robot gets her, you get her mentally. And, like, this, all of that is in this. It's just, it's a very deep character analysis. And, like, it's very ahead of its time, I feel like, in terms of writing. Because, so... Like most anime, you have a male character and then the rest is a female cast, right? I feel like loads of action anime are like that. Yeah. But this time, it's kind of like taking a very deep look into the women in Shinji, who's the main character's life, and sort of their relationship to him and his. And it's got like the whole like teen awakening, sexual awakening, but also like depression and like uh, regressing and falling back into it's. It's I don't want to spoil it because it really is quite a unique. Experience there is cool action. I will say the series, which so far I like more than the movies, but we haven't finished the movie, so we don't know how it's going to end. The series is better overall, but the action is a little clunky because it's '90s, and also some of the pacing is a little bit off. I will say because you get it starts off quite well, I think, and then you get a bunch of episodes in a row where it's just the monster fighting. But it's important for something that you'll know eventually, so you do just have to like sit through it and it's not boring by any means but it's like you won't really get to the meat of it until like halfway but once you're in may there's no going back will say though two things when you do watch it it should be a message because there's a problem with the ending where they lost funding so the last two episodes are no longer canon and instead you have to skip the two episodes and then watch a movie called end of evangelion oh and Netflix, annoyingly, redid the subtitle and translation and they actually censored a bunch of stuff because there's a bunch of queer, like, gay stuff in there and they got rid of it, annoyingly, which is kind of fucking dumb. So I'll... So just... And it's quite important to the character. It's not, like, just me being gay and wanting gay characters. It's, like, it's actually an integral part of this character. Yeah. So I will tell you what they censored on Netflix. But definitely it's worth a watch. Amazing. It's so good.
1: Well, I can safely say that that is a better recommendation than train simulator or whatever it is you said last time 100 I, <laughs> I will i will definitely give this a watch i've got nothing but time at the minute so why not get myself into evangelion and see how it goes
0: but do it um don't it's not for the faint of heart so i don't know if it's something to watch with other people by the way there's um towards the end anyway there's images
1: <laughs> there's images okay i'll accept that there's images <laughs> Mm -hmm. amazing anyway so we are on second thought we are a podcast which deals with looking back at the critically commercially um just in general the 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 pop culture zeitgeist sphere maligned aspects of media whether that be films games books comics um art installations i don't know a someone screaming at pigeons something you know that people care about, but they don't care about a lot. And I, myself, am Sam, and I'm joined by Sixto, as always. We are your hosts. And this week, we are looking at a film that is near and dear to my heart, Signs. And before we move into (laughs) speaking about it, I just wanted to kind of get out of the way to begin with. Sixto, what's your relationship with the director of this film, M. Night Shyamalan?
0: I mean, who doesn't love... The tragedy of M. Night Shyamalan. <laughs> <laughs> um, so my first, I think most people will have the same thing, but the my first encounter with him was The Sixth Sense, which as a teen, I loved. I was like, oh my God, this is scary, but mostly, wow, plot twist. What an ending. And then I went into like a rabbit hole of M. Night Shyamalan reviews on youtube and found out about other films uh, such as the happening and the last airbender and all these other films and i'm like how did the person who made this amazing movie the sixth sense make these other terrible films and then i ended up watching i haven't seen the last airbender i I refuse to but i did watch the happening and i will say probably one of the worst films of my life but god it's fun (laughs) very fun um so yeah i always see him as like a bit of a tragic bigger in terms of creative filmmaking because i feel like it started off strong and then i watched by the way i did watch Signs for the first time soon after the sixth sense um and i did like it then but i won't say what i thought about it this time spoiler but um i did like it then and then you know i was like oh this is terrible but then eventually he like had a bit of a resurgence i feel with the visit yeah which i saw and i was like Do you know what that was actually really fun i really liked the visit and then I didn't see Split because I haven't seen Unbreakable, and I don't want to watch Split until I watch Unbreakable. But then I just CBA to watch Unbreakables, <laughs> <laughs> so I'm stuck there. Um, but I think I'm seeing Old later today, actually. So I'll, I am excited for that and see how it goes. Although I do hate the title Old. It's kind of it's kind of so stupid. It's funny,
1: but it's very on the nose.
0: How about yeah? How about how about you? What's your relationship with Shyamalan? So
1: I you know, kind of unabash- unashamedly adore directors with um storied careers. You know, my, my obsession with someone like Zack Snyder really tells the tale there. And Shyamalan is no different where Signs was my first film of his. And so I'll save all of that for when we actually speak about it. But as a director, I I find him to be so, so fascinating, just in that for a lot of his films, and yes, there was that, the era of The Happening, Last Airbender, After Earth. There was kind of that era of, ooh, Shyamalan trying to go studio, which clearly uh-huh. didn't work. But outside of that, I find this film so interesting because I can never categorise them into a genre, so to speak. And we get into more of this when we speak about science, but I find it really tough to be like, okay, this film is... Um, this is about this one specific thing, or this is a a horror film, this is a thriller film. And I think I recently watched an interview with him where he says, you know, that's one of his issues that he had when he was having to make The Last Airbender or After Earth was that oh, he was making a studio film, so it needed to be this genre. So when he was trying to put in Mm -hmm. different elements of it, it just didn't work. And he himself, I think, has, has come out and said that he kind of just did that for the money. And so when it came to something like The Visit, which he remortgaged his house to fund you know, you kind of see that, oh, maybe this person shouldn't have ever been sucked into that commercial machine. And I just think as a... It's almost like an enigma in a certain sort of way because his films do, they follow this sort of trend of, oh, the, the twist ending is so surprising and all these different things. But outside of that, I think he has such a interesting way to deal with characters and arguably, and this is a big swing... But arguably, I'd say that he can bring out some of the best child performances that I have ever seen on screen. And I think this is the case. And again, I'm not looking at Jaden Smith in After Earth here. But <laughs> if we look at something <laughs> like... It was he
0: a child there?
1: I mean, basically was. He was basically de- de-aged Will Smith from Gemini Man at that point. So... True. <laughs> you know, if we look at something like The Sixth Sense where Haley Joel Osment is astounding in That role, um, we look at, and again, you haven't seen it, but I do really recommend Unbreakable. The kid in that is fantastic. Uh, up to when you're about to see Old today, I adored Old, and again, really, really strong performances from the child actors. So, yeah, I really like Shyamalan, I really, really do.
0: And what about Signs? Where do you stand with that? So, and when was the first time you saw it?
1: Signs, so, Signs was my first. First film that I've seen of his. I must have seen seen it back in, oof, I think I was like 10. So this was, this ostensibly was my first horror, in air quotes, film. This was mm-hmm. my first experience of the, something quite scary that wasn't just Scooby-Doo kind of levels of, of silliness. So we'll get into it now and we'll, we'll see what what we both thought of it. So, Signs is a 2002 sci-fi thriller drama. As I said, really hard to categorise. Um, and yeah. written and directed by Emma Sharmelan. Of course, it'd be weird if I we just had that massive conversation and I said, "Oh, this is directed by someone completely different." But <laughs> written, directed by uh, Box office of 408.2 million US dollars and a Mixed a positive reception, but more so, I think, when you dig into some of the reviews, they do come across as overall riding off the laurels of things like this is his second film or third film following off from The Sixth Sense. So he's still riding that that train of, oh, this is the new Spielberg almost. And Mm. so, yeah, so we'll we'll dig into it now and we'll we'll see what, what we both thought about it. But I think, you know, just to kick things off, I absolutely love this film so so much. I I think that will you know color a lot of my opinions of it. But I think on rewatching it this time, I really tried to dig into a critical viewpoint of it and try and dig into well, what is this film trying to tell me? And I've come away with with quite a lot of thoughts. Some of them very explicit. Some of them where I thought I was being really clever, only for the film to then turn around and be like, oh, well, that was kind of the point the whole time. And ultimately, I came away from it just thinking this film is so heartwarming and just this one was like a warm hug almost and Mm -hmm. it really yeah it means a lot so how about yourself so how did you what's your experience with science
0: so obviously the first time i saw it again i was quite young i think i was like 11 12 maybe um it wasn't my first horror because i will always remember my first horror movie was the others and it (laughs) wow well I say that, um, obviously, if you don't count Scooby-Doo, which arguably is quite scary. <laughs> <laughs> and Har- Harry Potter really terrified me, actually, when I was a kid. Number two, The Tomb of Secrets. I was I had, like, nightmares for weeks. But anyway, yeah, The Others was, like, the first one. And then this was, like, soon after, because I watched, like, The Sixth Sense. Because the- I feel like all these movies from that sort of time were all quite similar in that they're very accessible, not too intense horror films. Yeah. Um, which, so I was kind of, like, watching them all. And I found it quite scary then. I didn't know if I like. I mean, I definitely liked it, but like I wasn't, I don't think I knew enough about myself or cinema to like actively say, oh, I love that movie, that makes sense. Whereas now i watched it again, and I'll say, I don't think I love it as much as you do, because there are a few things, especially towards the end, that kind of fall apart for me, um, mostly in terms of just keeping me engaged, but I really like this movie. I liked a lot about it. In fact, I kept thinking about the podcast we made about Jurassic World, uh, Fallen Kingdom, because I specifically said how much I hate when characters watch TV to find information. And then I was like, but you know what? This movie does it exactly the way it needs to be done because that was such an interesting and cool plot point that I loved. Um, So there's so much that I really loved about this movie. Uh, Like I said, it is my only real problems which I think we'll get to when we kind of discuss the end it does it, it it didn't keep me as engaged towards the end I did find it a little bit and I don't like using this word but it did find it a little bit boring towards the end <laughs> which is annoying because it's supposed to be like the big climax obviously but I don't mean the end end I thought the final confrontation was cool and I liked it um, there's something kind of unnerving about the way these aliens just kind of do that little Smash Brothers stance. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but just before that, I was like, uh, you know, but um, yeah, overall loved it. I don't really know where to even begin. Oh, I guess we could just start with the opening. because What a great opening, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely fantastic. So, for those who who may not know, you know, Signs is a film that follows a family who have recently suffered a tragedy with the loss of the mother, and we are in the shoes of Graham Hess, who was a former reverend. Who is now um, left the faith and is struggling with existing in his new world, essentially. And we open the film with, yeah, what you, like you said, it's such a strong opening. Because I think we... it has that, that interesting thing of like showing where we're going, but bringing everything back to what it all comes down to for this big film, which is the story of family. And so, uh-huh. you know, we open on the the window looking out at the cornfield. Which, first of all, why are not why isn't every film set in a cornfield? Because it it just honestly it just adds for such interesting visuals that you can't like nothing seems to to detract from it in a certain sort of way. You know, I don't like the film Interstellar, but I still remember that there's a cornfield in it which looked pretty cool. <laughs> so why not why not just set everything within a cornfield? But I digress. We open up, we come back into seeing um, Graham Hess, who played by Mel Gibson, waking up and we get to experience his kind of flat existence almost. You know, there's a bit of a pointed gesture of how he's left the faith with the outline of the cross on the wall. But Mm -hmm. it all just does. Everything feels so drained almost. Like, I really feel that this film positions you within his mindset almost instantly. But how do you kind of take, what's your your viewpoint on this opening?
0: Yeah, I mean, it got me completely engaged from the get-go. A, I thought it does a really good point, And I know everyone's going to be like, he's so obsessed with tone. I keep talking about tone in every fucking review. But like, he really establishes that it's going to be a summer Slow, almost methodical take of it, like, on, on this kind of genre and the story. And it's very slow. And like I immediately noticed the outline of the cross, which I thought was really cool because it's obviously so clearly there for you to see, but it's so, but it's yet in the background. So it kind of just feels subtle, even though it probably isn't subtle. <laughs> it feels subtle because it's not, there's no close up straight or anything like that. They're just going to let Mel Gibson walk towards the screen and you're just going to notice it. And just the slowly um just like the way he wakes up and stuff it just I think also starting at night kind of goes to that as well where we're like it's gonna be a dark story not particularly dark in the sense of complete direness and um the violence and all that it's more just dark in the in the like it's just sad it's nighttime like it's very it's melancholic you know and then we get the massive mystery of the crop circles which are so everyone knows crop circles, right? Like, I feel like everyone's seen us pictures of them in yeah. like South America, and everyone's like, oh, it's definitely aliens. Cause in all honesty, I have no idea how the fuck those things are there. Cause I just, I hate that there's like real pictures of these things. <laughs> <laughs> it's sick. Like, it doesn't make sense. But conspiracy theories aside, that when, when they're in the crops and then they just zoom out, and then, then it's like, okay, this is it. This is science. So cool. I really, I don't know. I just feel like it's, a very effective way to say we're doing a movie about an alien invasion but we're gonna focus on the individuals i just really like i'm immediately invested because just kind of talking largely about the genre i feel like it's rare to see an alien invasion movie type thing on such a personal level of like just random civilians because even the more and i'm saying this with like quote marks around that like cerebral alien invasion stuff like arrival and stuff is always from those scientist angle or the uh, you know the government agent angle and even something like district nine was still from like a sort of government slash scientific kind of angle so you never really get to see like if i if an alien comes down like what am i doing you know, like, what what's me and my family doing? Yeah. You never really get to see that, I found. And I thought that was such an incredible way to just completely get me invested, because I'm like, yeah, like, what would I do if there was just aliens popping up around the place? Yeah, so... no, I think
1: you're right, it does. It takes this, this very macro concept of an alien invasion and views it through a very, very... the microcosm of our small town, and even smaller than that, this oh. small family, which is, again... Like you said earlier, I alluded towards the use of the television to get information in this one. I feel that's where that comes to play so, so well. But just before we get into that, the one thing that always stands out to me about this film, and, you know, we didn't really speak about it with Jurassic World, but for this film particularly, the music of this film by James Newton Howard is impeccable. I think for something that is so mysterious, but at the same time sends shivers down your spine every single time just that that slowly repeating motif it's terrifying and to me that's what a small town alien invasion sounds like not not (laughs) you know this isn't big sci-fi drums this isn't junkie xl on the 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 or the the war machine sort of thing this is very small it sounds like a very very small orchestra and at the same time very grand in how terrifying it is and it plays into a lot of what i think this film does really well which is balancing this somber tone with moments of horror moments of Mm -hmm. of heart and funnily enough moments of real visual humor like i've I've Mm -hmm. found myself laughing so much in this film it's really really awkwardly funny and that's the thing that i think plays well into it because you know, from our first interaction with the crop circle happens and we come along and the police officer comes along, Carolyn, and there's just a, the way that people speak to each other, which people might say is quite stilted and that's kind of a critique across the board for a lot of Shyamalan's films. For me, it feels really fitting within the tone of the film where nothing really makes sense, nothing is really normal. People are kind of just desperately searching for a, a way to exist and a way to understand their own existence and so we get these these bits of dialogue which will feel quite distant and then to not go on with that the camera itself feels quite distant but at the same time you're they're like okay well these people have just suffered a really massive tragedy and now they're just trying to find a way to kind of regain some form of themselves
0: yeah do you not feel like the dialogue and bear with because it might not be like a um like an obvious sort of comparison but i always found the dialogue in these movies specifically the earlier shaman movies to be akin to like a coen brothers film like i get a bit of fargo vibes and just the way they talk to one another because it's that thing where it's like it makes sense for these characters to speak this way but no real human would speak this way if that make you know yeah so i don't know why i kind of got that vibe which is why it's weird when i see people criticizing it because i'm like we love common brother stuff everybody loves it apparently you know i mean i love most of it <laughs> but like uh do you know what i mean so it's like and yeah and they're known for that sort of more stilted it's not even stilted it's just unique line delivery from the actors and stuff like that so i just kind of assume it's kind of it weird that we don't kind of have the same look on it on the dialogue here um and talking about the funny it is funny I really did like i can see why people at the time were calling this the new spielberg because he is mixing that family fun with fright i think this is probably a little step ahead of um something like joe's or well actually i mean joe's is much more violent but overall like i think this is a bit more intense than something like joe's or jurassic park and stuff like that but it still has that fun element to it with the family and the kids and I mean, come on, isn't the author of the book called, like, Mr. Bimbo or something?
1: Yeah, Dr. Bimbo. <laughs>
0: Dr. Bimbo, yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, it's, it's got its charm and the tin foil hats and it's just such an amazing visual gag. And the kids are really endearing. Specifically Bo. Usually the youngest child in a movie is often the annoying part of the movie. And I thought Bo was extremely adorable. Very much like a kid. The whole... Water's contaminated gag is so funny to me. And obviously it makes sense with like the final reveal. So it kind of goes with it, which by the way, I know we keep forgetting every episode. Spoiler warning for those that haven't seen Signs, we will be talking about the ending (laughs) and obviously details if you haven't figured that out by now. But yeah, obviously her water obsession is linked to the end. But even if you strip that away, it's still such a fun quirk. To a character, like especially a little girl. Cause it's when she's like, um, oh, this water's contaminated and her brother's like, You don't even know what contaminated means <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> It's funny. I really liked it. It's really you know, I think the key word here is it's really charming. It's just such a charming even even the sheriff was like funny and friendly, which usually, you know, it's not the case. Yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't nothing
1: feels out of place within the town itself. Um, I think, yeah. What what always sticks out to me is the, um, the moment where Bo wakes up Graham, and she's like, "There's a monster in my room." Can I have a glass of water? And that yeah, kills me. <laughs> it's her delivery of it. It's just, you're right. Charming is the is the only word for it because it's so, it's so random. But at the same time, it's like, oh, well, of course, a kid would just say something as ridiculous as that because, what they just underplay everything. And at the same time, they only really have one focus. And that leads us into um what is what is a terrifying moment of that of seeing the alien on the roof. But I think uh-huh. what you notice about it is that every single character feels like they are a character in and of themselves, which is the key thing for me. No one feels like they are just there because Shyamalan needed someone to exist within this. And uh-huh. Yeah, so there's there's just a lot of a lot of interesting things that he does in order to establish that. And again, like I said before, he puts us in the mindset of Graham really, really well. And I think where we get that most is, you know, when he's investigating the crop circles with Carolyn and he's like, Oh, I don't hear my kids and mm-hmm. we've lost sight of the kids as well because we were originally with them and it's cut away from them and we get that tragic moment with Houdini's being stabbed, um, which, again, even the shot beforehand with the dog kind of in the bottom left of frame and then starting to bark, it's really, really intense. Really intense. Yeah, it's very... Uh, I
0: thought that was very threatening. And probably my favourite shot in the movie, you know?
1: Yeah, it, and that plays into, again, this just really interesting visual language that the film has. I think what always what I'd always noticed most about Shyamalan with his filmmaking is that he... Focuses a lot on the blocking of scenes, like the way the actors move around. He doesn't really move the camera unless it's necessary. Again, like Spielberg, but his actors always move around so like they're framed perfectly within shots, or even if they're framed awkwardly, it's still a perfect awkward mix. So uh-huh. we get our shot there, and then later on when when um, Mel goes into the house and we kind of pan around and there's Carolyn pulling the pulling the little. Um, fork out of the dog it's really well done in terms of you get all the information you need visually so that we don't need to then focus on oh the aliens are this the aliens are that because you could strip away the alien story from this and just have a, a real kind of interesting family drama because the alien itself while that while that investigation is really interesting you could have done this whole film and then not had the alien invasion but still had it is character study going on behind the scenes that I think when the first you first watch it, you're kind of invested in, oh, what's the alien mystery about? But at least upon rewatch, you kind of realise, oh, the alien thing actually isn't the biggest deal. And what it is more so, it's people's responses to that that, that matters, which again leads into what you're saying, is that this is a very small scale alien invasion movie. It's about what would how would you react to an alien invasion? What would your take be? Mm-hmm. Not the aliens themselves, but what would your take be on it?
0: Mm-hmm. yeah no very very that and it's almost um i just, just quickly there's two things i want to mention from what you've said first with the camera angles absolutely love it and he in a way uses the first half of the movie to kind of train us with these angles so that when he actually starts delivering the scares they work really well because for the most part it's always something that's inside but you don't quite see it and then it moves and then you realize that is it was an alien or something yeah and that's all to do just because we're so used to the camera angles perhaps not following the character along or you know just kind of like being in what might be like a weird position at first and you just kind of i don't know it was really great particularly my i think the most famous jump scare in this is definitely the the, the mexican birthday party when he like jumps out the alien jumps out but my favorite jump scare was a very i don't i don't know if it's an alien throwback or not but to me it felt like an alien throwback which is when the kid is by the window and then sudden and there's like an arm near him but you don't realize it's an arm until it moves and then you realize it's an arm that was like yeah my favorite one and that's only because we're of the camera angle again you know like you were just so used to these static cameras that it just kind of makes it more effective i thought and then, in terms of the um, family thing, like what would we do the for me, when it really cements that this is going to be such an interesting take on the invasion of like and like in a way, we keep talking about how it's not really realistic, but in a way, very realistic is when he's having the chat with the police with Carolyn and they're like, yeah, I don't know, I was tall, I wasn't tall. And he said, like, well, by the way, hilarious dialogue there with, um, no, I've seen women in the Olympics, Scandinavian <laughs> women could jump 10 feet high. Like, it's so bizarre. But then I also feel like, you know, while I like, small, not to be rude, but like I feel like someone, like a sheriff in a small town would say kind of stuff like that. Uh, but people in the cities would say stuff like, I would say stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know, I thought it was really funny, but just the girl interrupting... Constantly and then be like, hi, where's the remote? And it's like, oh, I don't know, go look for it. Um, I can't, it's like it's the same show in every channel. That is so clever because it's such a unlike what my criticism of Fallen Kingdom was, where characters just happen to watch TV and then they find out shit. This is like such an an integral part of the story and the character where like she likes watching the TV. So obviously she's going to be concerned when she's trying to watch her cartoon and every channel is showing the same thing. And it gets a whole family in there and we just get the amazing shot of them all just sat in the sofa. And the kid is like oddly fascinated, a little bit scared. The parents, like um, uh, Graham and his brother are like completely lost for words because you can really see it on their face. Like, what the hell are they going to do now? Like, how do you cope with that? And... I just thought it was such a good... Because that is how you would do it, right? You'd probably just hear about it on Twitter or whatever. You'd turn on the TV and then you would just kind of sit and stare. Like, what are you going to do when you find out the aliens are here? Yeah. You're just going to stare. I don't know. I just thought it was really brilliant. I don't even know where I'm going with this other than, good job, (laughs) movie.
1: Yeah, no, it does. It digs into that thing of, like you said, it's clever. Whereas with Fallen Kingdom, they are just watching TV and it happens. With this, it's a similar sort of setup in the sense that we are we're told information via the tv but the TV's already a thing in this universe before it then reveals information like the kids already watching the tv and our graham and and mel and the, and carolyn find out secondhand that something's on the tv it's not that oh uh-huh. they're watching something and then oh news flash, breaking news comes on and we do and i love that that line of same things on every channel because
0: mm-hmm. it's scary yeah
1: it really doesn't it digs into this that feeling of just underlying dread that comes across in this whole film and i think what what the key thing that stands out to me about this this movie is that the whole thing to me is about this desperate search for meaning that every character seems to have within mm-hmm. this and mm-hmm. what whereas initially i was kind of you know when i was watching it, i was like oh yeah this there's, there's the very clear representations of all trying to find faith and things like that that's all there but at the same time we do we have this desperate search for meaning that everyone has so whether that is you're trying to find meaning through religion or you're trying to find meaning through whatever it is each character seems to go through this so graham is is trying to find you know a meaning for why his wife died a meaning for why he's now been left here is this was it an act of god should he have left the faith should he have returned to it and so on and so on, um, Mel, his brother, who, by the way, Joaquin Phoenix is fantastic in this role. Why did he ever play the Joker when clearly he is so funny? Like, really, really funny.
0: I know oh he was hilarious here.
1: Yeah, really plays these characters so well. Why would he then have to go on it? That? That's a different story for a different day. But, you know, his, his whole thing of, oh, he was going to be a minor league baseball star, he's going to go into the majors, and he doesn't... And so now he's searching for meaning, and he ends up at the recruitment, the army recruitment, because he's just looking for something, something to do. You know, mm-hmm. he works at the gas station, and that's clearly not enough for him. Similar with the kids, they're looking for a meaning in the sense that there has to be something else out there. There has to be something else because they've just lost their mum. So, mm-hmm. especially um, Rory Colkin, who is just fascinated by these aliens, purely because is it a fascination out of oh. I'm just fascinated because they're aliens, or is it a fascination because this means that's something else? This means that there is something else for there to be. Uh-huh. And, you know, again, we're digging into the external characters as well. We've got the the amazing guy at the library or the bookstore who's obsessed with the fact that they keep on showing the Coca-Cola adverts, um, which, again, that theme song for, the, for the, the cola always sticks in my head as well, just from where it pops up. And, yeah, we really do. We have this whole thing of, this is just characters desperately searching for a meaning to exist beyond just existence, which I feel is really, really interesting mm-hmm. and it digs into that, that sadness and that sombre tone that is spread throughout this film.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, actually, talk. I mean, I feel like meaning and looking for a meaning to your life is such a central theme to this because a lot of them we'll get into it when I'm into in the review a lot of people say that the center of this is a commentary on faith but I don't think it's so much on faith as it is just about what gives your life meaning just like you said because yes we're dealing with a man who left the church because of his wife's death which by the way I know some so a reverend can marry a priest can't right is that so how it works i
1: think so yeah i'm not versed enough to be able to ex-
0: to yeah do a thing, really but i think so but anyway because he's because they keep holding him father but he has a wife and kids so i don't regardless man of the church man like that he's the man of the church in that town like as we see when he goes to try and buy an inhaler he has to end up doing a confession for <laughs> yeah. the for the girl, which is hilarious. Again, it's like this understated comedy. I think the reason I find this movie so funny and effective is because they're never really telling jokes. There's never a punchline or like a weird line delivery with like a pause for us to laugh. It's always just a really normal conversation that just happens to be completely ridiculous, and that's what's so funny about it. Like her being like, "I really need to confess because this is, you know, the world," and it's like, "Yeah, I said bastard," and <laughs> yeah. like douchebags it's when he's just like I I curse 41 times wait does douchebag count oh actually it was 71 (laughs) it's like do you know what I mean so anyway I digress Um, it's not the faith about him that I think it's the point of the movie it's the fact that A he lost his faith because of the horrible horrible thing that happened to his wife it's and he's just lost because you'd assume all that he knew right was his love for his wife and kids And his love for God. And when God, essentially, in his eyes, I guess, when God killed his wife, because she, I think it all comes from that line that she delivers to him, where she's like, I was just going for my walk. Like it was, no, no, it's not, it's that. And also when Shyamalan himself (laughs) says it was meant to be, or something like that, right? I think that's the line. It's like, I never fall asleep and there was no cars for the whole journey. It was meant to be. It's like, he sees that in my head. Graham sees it as his God betrayed him and took his only other thing away from him. So obviously he's going to be lost and almost like I'm like just searching for whatever it is because even his kids blame him in a way. And you kind of you can tell like the son. I know he says it eventually in the dinner scene where he's like, "You let mom die," but there's there's that distance I find throughout the, like from the get go between the kid and him and you can kind of fill in the gaps yourself so yeah i just i feel like that is the crux of this movie is finding almost like a reason to live you know i feel like that's kind of what like everyone's alive but wait what's that's like a really corny line it's like oh everybody um... dies but not everyone lives or something like that (laughs) like but that as stupid as it sounds that is very much of this movie right (laughs) yeah it does it's it is. It's that whole thing of,
1: yeah, people just desperately searching for a reason to, to be, almost. Mm-hmm. And it's not that they're miserable in the sense that they're not, no one's like depressed in this film or anything like that. Graham could be, but it's more so that they all just feel like they're floating, and they just mm-hmm. they're already ghosts in a certain sort of way. Um, mm-hmm. But it does, and it it digs into a really interesting thing you speak about there. So the way his wife dies is one of the most violent and horrifying scenarios that I think I've ever seen in any film. And it's just through description that it makes me wince every single time we get to it. And what I think the film does so well is, so usually I hate dream dream scenes or seeing what people are dreaming about. And this is, you know, a mix of a flashback and a dream, but it's done so interestingly because when we're first shown it, you're like, oh, now we're going to see this, but it cuts because he wakes up. And, I'm, you know, it, does, it doesn't cut because the the scariest thing happens. It just cuts. And I feel like it does it so well in terms of drip feeding us information for the eventual finale that when we do get the full picture of it, it's horrifying. And, of course, you would keep on dreaming about this same exact thing and, and it becomes so, you know, the dream scene is so moody. You know, it's all darkly lit and you kind of get the the ambulance flashing lights against the trees and everything is just so dire, which is his viewpoint of it. And when you see him having this conversation with his wife, and again, it holds on him for a certain point there. I couldn't remember if we ever actually got a shot of his wife because it does feel we like. We do. Yeah. Um
0: But you're right though.
1: It, yeah. It's very, very fleeting. And yeah, I just think that me personally from someone who usually despises finding out information through dream scenes in the same vein you do through TV this film mm-hmm. does it so well, really, really well. But what's your your mm-hmm. view on that?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think the reason it works so well is because they, whether it was Shyamalan or the editor or whoever, I mean, it was probably scripted this way, but where they placed that first... First of all, splitting the flashback into two, extremely, extremely clever and effective because the first time you don't see her at all, instead you just get a very graphic description of this woman who's essentially, I'm assuming her insides are literally only being kept together because of the car. Yeah. It kind of reminds me of that awful um, saw trap. I think it's in four or five where there's like a wife stuck to his husband through poles. And then if she pulls it out, it'll kill him. Kind oh, of thing. yeah. It just really, I don't for an extreme, but it reminds me because it's very much the same concept, right? Where like the only, the thing killing them is the thing killing them alive, which by the way is, oh, sorry, I hit. I hit my mic. Sam and I were talking about it earlier, how we keep hitting our mics. I'm sorry, guys. (laughs) Anyway. um, Yes. So first time is just a description, extremely graphic. And they cut without ever seeing anything from her, which is super clever because what that does is it lets it sit in the back of your mind. And you just kind of picture this really awful, awful stuff so that when we come back to it and we do see her and obviously they're very clever because it is a PG-13 so they can't really go into all that detail. And in a way, not going into the graphicness of it is more effective. You just see her top half and all you're thinking about in your head, or at least for me, is just how messed up what we're not seeing must look like. Like she's probably cut in half. (laughs) It's awful, awful, awful stuff. And that placement of the two scenes within the overall story is probably what makes it feel as effective and not as annoying as like another dream sequence might be because it really does. It leads into the final conflict. It leads into the realization of Graham and sort of him coming to terms with her death. Finally, it's like, there's a whole bunch of ways that this is so linked and perfectly like wrapped up with the ending. So it's just such a powerful scene in a very subtle way. I mean, the whole movie is really quite subtle, which I was, like, so impressed by because I forgot that Anne Chamberlain did do Subtle Once Upon a Time. (laughs) So, yeah, I mean, I loved it. It was was horrifying. Like, how rare is it to just be told something and you picture it so vividly? I feel like that's not that common that happens.
1: No, yeah, it does. It just, everything comes together so well in that moment. Um, Do you find as well that for me, for a lot of these shots, I was like, oh, right, was Shyamalan trying to like out Wes Anderson, Wes Anderson, in some of these? because <laughs> It
0: felt very that, yeah. Yeah,
1: some of them are so perfectly symmetrical, but again, that just adds to the comedy of it, it adds to that kind of, that everything is just very awkward between this town, and between, well, at least between Graham and the the, the members of this town, because obviously they know that he's left, and everything's happened here, but... Outside of that, what I find interesting, I want to dig into the bit you spoke, thought was boring in a second, but I just wanted to get your take on this. So how do you feel about that Shyamalan put himself into the movie, but also that his role as the person who killed the wife and thus led the family to this sort of thing where, you know, Merle's now moved back and all these sorts of um, dramas happened there. How do you feel about the fact that he's done that but also at the same time, he is the writer of the film. So he has actually been the one that has done this to the family. So he's, it's on a very meta level, put himself in it as the cause of this family's um, chaos. And he actually is the, you know, the overarching God of this family's chaos in a certain sort of way.
0: Mm-hmm. I, that's one I think it's one of the points that I don't love about the movie personally. It does. I think it depends on who you are. It, walks a fine line between self-indulgency and, I guess, his autorism For me, it kind of ended up falling a little bit in the self-indulgent part because we already have the opening credit that in one line says written, directed, and produced by M. Night Shyamalan. And then he shows up as well in a, an in, in a very integral, small but integral role. And I'm like, okay, it... It didn't work for me because, like you said, it is very meta. He did write; he is the cause for the character for the wife dying, both in film and behind the scenes. And it's just a little bit like I just—it took me a little bit away from the movie because by that point I was actually very invested and, um, more importantly, very immersed into the world. And that completely rips me out because I know his face. I'm like, oh, this is the guy writing everything. It reminds you of who the writer is, which. You don't generally want. There's some movies where you like seeing the director. If that makes sense, not, but like not particularly in the movie, but like something like *The Neon Demon*. Nick Winding Reffin is all over that thing, and you never forget that this is a Nick Winding Reffin movie, right? Yeah, and that works for that. But here, I'm immersed, and I the one thing that breaks immersion is mind being reminded that this was created by people. And so when you put the person creating everything in the movie and also i'm sorry dude not the best performance of the movie (laughs) just a very very slowly breathing slowly talking looking away in the distance kind of performance which is a little i mean the movie is corny but this is like a little too much so i didn't love it it didn't like you know ruin the movie or anything but it is i think i have two main issues of the movie and that's definitely one of them how how do you do you like it did you like that yeah, cameo I'd, or cameos. I I like,
1: I like seeing him show up. I think he's always interesting to see. Um, you know he he was the star of his first ever film, um, Searching for God. I think it was called, and I think he oh. he was this he was the main the main character in that. And I just when he shows up, I'm like, oh, Shyamalan, like he really does try, and this is his most dramatic attempt at least in all of his films you know he's he not just kind of there he is trying to really play out the fact that oh this is a really sad character who has you know even that his performance isn't great but i still do like the line of oh um people who kill reverend's wives don't usually get like moved up the line to heaven now mm-hmm. do they um so he is i like him there and I, I did i did actually like that idea that oh he is he is literally putting himself in this role and taking over the fact that he is the cause of this family's heartache in m- multiple ways, essentially. So that, it didn't take me out of it so much as it was like, oh, this is a, this is a nice bit of meta-commentary outside of that, that, oh, you know, a filmmaker kind of b- b- wakes up these, these massively tragic scenarios, and such a brutal one in this case, that is it fair for him to then put the blame on someone else, or is he going to take the blame himself? um mm-hmm. yeah but i liked it I, I i just it's interesting it leads to that brilliant scene in the pantry um which is it's really good i just love mel gibson's performance in this you know yeah controversy aside of him i think within this film he plays such a different role to anything i've ever seen him in before or after and i think casting the person that made passion of the christ as someone who has lost their faith fantastic absolutely brilliant <laughs>
0: that is now that see but that's the kind of level of meta they should have stayed at <laughs> yeah. do you not just think I don't know because I agree I think the scene is great and important that's kind of like my problem is do you not think it would have been just more effective just having an actor not saying that M. Milan isn't an actor like obviously he has his acted many times I'm saying like just not him do you I not think because I don't know I find it quite imagine breaking
1: I just think who do you get for that role because it just feels like such a Shyamalan role in the sense of, it's the, it's the same role that he's in in sh- in if I say Shape of Water, in Lady in the Water, um, in that he is kind of the an integral plot point that isn't in the film for a lot, but still has this this overarching power over the film itself. So yeah,
0: but that's just a bit of a dick move. <laughs> <laughs> it is,
1: it is. But at the same time, I was reading up about the director um, Vincent Gallo yesterday. Mm. And let's just say that I'm never going to think anyone else is self-indulgent ever again after finding Vincent Gallo's website. So I'll leave it at that. Do your investigation if you want to. But I mean, don't waste your time and do that.
0: (laughs) I'm so going to Google it after. It's
1: horrendous. But outside of that, you said that a bit bored you before we get to the reviews and the ending. So Uh what was what was it that kind of you out of it
0: so i think i can't pinpoint so it first of all okay i just said so like 100 times first of all it's a slow paced movie and i think no one can really deny that it's a slow paced movie with long shots we don't really cut much and the scenes take their time and i think that's brilliant and i usually like slow cinema a lot and i think it works with this kind of story and it builds the tone and the somberness of it brilliant The problem with the slow movie I found um, is that we start gearing up into the actual sort of invasion part of it, specifically after the scene we were just talking about where he goes to the pantry with the knife and all that, which is brilliant and very tense and I loved it. And it, it climaxes with a very loud scream when he slices the fingers off. And I think because we reach such a level of intensity... When we were kind of ripped back into the slowness of it, it felt like five times slower than the rest of the movie. Even though in my head, and this might just be me and genre movies, and kind of so it's not might not be the movie's fault, but in my head we're supposed to be gearing up, and I don't mean we need to start having like action, 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 but uh, the level of sustained threat wasn't there. The threat kind of came and went, where I feel like we should have just kept it. If that makes sense. It finds its way back finally when they go into the basement, I thought. And that's brilliant. But the point between the pantry and the basement, I, 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 it's not that I wasn't enjoying myself. Like I definitely was, but I kind of wanted to just get to it because I knew it was coming. I was like, I know we're going to get to the ultimate aliens actually coming in to try and get them. So why am I not getting there? That makes, It might just be me as an eager movie watcher. It might be me being spoiled by modern cinema and how hectic and fast-paced it is. But I can't help but feel like I just it to get to it. And that kind of, you know, just kind of sucked.
1: Yeah, I, I in terms of that sense of what this film is building towards there, I do see what you're saying there in that we do. We have this moment of right now we should be gearing up. Right now we should almost get straight into it, into the board and at the windows and we don't. We uh-huh. go back to kind of the family bit. But to me, that makes sense in the sense that this, as we spoke about before, this isn't an alien invasion movie as much yeah. as it is this family drama. So to me, we get to the height of the tension there because we get to the bit where, OK, now everyone is on board with this alien thing aside from Graham. And he they do that, the voting scene about where are they going to go. And to me, that's where we get that build, because now he is at the point where he has seen something. But at the same time he is still trying to kind of control and have ownership over his family and his life where he hasn't had it before. And he wasn't able to. He wasn't able to con- to have any sort of control over if his wife lived or died. He wasn't able to have any sort of control over um his you know, his leaving of the of the faith because he felt that it is something that he needed to do because he was so angry with God because of his wife dying. And so uh-huh this is him still this desperate attempt for control in that even though he has seen something, he still wants to look after his family, he still wants to look after them, protect them and take them away to the, the lake and do all these different things, but they won't. And mm-hmm. that's where we get to what I think is the actual climax of the movie, which is the, is that dinner scene. And I think that dinner scene yeah. is is so well done in how it builds up from, you know, a real nice Genuine moment of oh, we're all gonna have these different meals, and then it cuts instantly, and you just see the chaos of the kitchen, and you're like, well, this doesn't look like your, you know, we didn't get like a montage of everyone laughing and joking and throwing flour at each other and stuff like that. Like, we cut to just a chaotic kitchen, and people sitting there around the table for the first time together, really, and you know that they are a family of, of, um, they are a religious family, so you're kind of expecting that oh there was that period where they would have said grace and now they're just hanging there no one's eating anything and to me that is the climax of the movie because that's where you get the moment of i hate you and you let mom die and then everyone comes right. together and then everything we get after that is the epilogue almost the the conclusion of the alien invasion storyline but at that point uh-huh. we've got this family has finally come back together they're finally a unit again. And we lead into the lovely moments of them boarding up the house and we hear the story of the two births. And it just feels that this is almost a story that wants to be told as opposed to the story that is being told.
0: Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right that that dinner scene is the climax of the movie. It's almost... I, I loved it as well. I thought it was super well done. Even just him breaking down, like... I'm just gonna eat everyone's food, and it's yeah. kind of again. It, it goes to that sort of ridiculousness, but you feel the pain in that because when you are so hurt, I feel like you would do really bizarre things, and I can't even imagine like the shit that this guy is going through because obviously not married, don't have kids, <laughs> not a priest. Um, <laughs> There's a whole lot of stuff to him that I can't relate to but it um there's also plenty that you do relate and I feel like that scene is great it just kind of but it kind of just goes to my point where I feel like the movie I don't know maybe I would have I can't I can't really say it because I feel like maybe I should have done the scenes in a different order and just focus on the alien and then the family but then kind of I'm a bit of a I feel like I'm being a bit hypocritical because it's like, yes, this does work actually. And that is great. And it's very important. I just don't, I don't know. There is something about the order of the final like 20 minutes that just didn't click. And I can't tell you what it is because you're right. This is the climax of the movie. And that is an amazing zane. But it's just wedged. I don't know. There's something about it. Maybe, maybe the pantry scene as much as I love it was too much alien stuff. And I needed the alien to be, like, either not there at all or um, later or something. I don't know. Like, it was too too fun, if that makes sense, to then be brought back down into the somberness of it all. Only to be brought back into the fun. I, I think maybe maybe I would have, maybe this should have reordered it. Maybe not. Maybe I'm just chatting shit. I don't know. But some things keeping me from, like, fully enjoying the finale. But I do love that dinner scene. And and maybe, I do love yeah. the overall thing, so... Maybe
1: if we know. if we cut out the pantry, not even the whole pantry scene, but if we cut out the moment where he goes back with the knife, because that's where yeah. we get the action burst. So if we cut out that... Maybe,
0: maybe, because it is fun, don't get me wrong, I did like it a lot, it's just... The whole movie is so about the aliens... Almost, the alien really is just about a way to put these characters in this situation more than anything... So it kind of, maybe they should have just kept the alien at bay for a little longer. Maybe, maybe. I don't know. We'll see when we make the remake. Yeah. <laughs> or the
1: sequel. Or
0: well, the sequel. Well, how, how do yeah. We do, yeah. How do we
1: do the plural of signs when it's already a plural? Signage. <laughs> <Yeah>. Signage. <laughs> Amazing. So that's kind of all I have to say for this big moment, aside from speaking about the pantry scene, the moment where he's like, I'm a police officer. Again, the film's so just funny. so funny. It's so it funny. is so funny. Yeah, but... Yeah, that's that's kind of all I have to speak about from my end, but what what do reviewers have to say about this one, Sixo? Yeah,
0: shall we get into the review? So I've got four. As I was texting you, Sam, hard to find this... Because most of these reviews are from 2002, when the movie came out, and I guess people just didn't save their reviews because most of the websites you would click on and then it'd be like error or no longer available and stuff like that. But I managed to find four that I thought were decent, very negative reviews, Uh, things worth mentioning. Like the movie overall, it's like, it's on the pretty mediocre side of things in terms of like people really, like people like it, people don't like it too much. Then there's some people that absolutely love it and think it's like the best thing ever. And then there's a lot of people that absolutely hate it. So I've gone for a little bit of the hater stuff just because i feel like it'll give us more to talk about and it's a bit more interesting uh just because we both seem to pretty i think you love it i really like it so it'll be good to clash yeah <laughs> so review number one this is john powers for la weekly and he said uh science brings the same plotting patriarchal pretentiousness to supernatural thrillers as road to perdition did to crime pictures Enthralled by his own genius and desire to make another blockbuster, Shyamalan has taken a terrific B-movie idea, spooky crop circles appearing in a family farm, and then flitted it into what he wants us to believe is a serious commentary on faith. In fact, it's preachy, reactionary goth that serves only to resurrect benighted ideas about religion and family. As I watched, I kept thinking how much smarter and scarier I found Mark Pellington's The Mothman Prophecies, which takes exactly the same elements, A widower hero, a small town setting, inexplicable messages, the possibility of space aliens, a dead wife who offers saving words, even a wise female cop, but tells its story with pulpy, paranoid panache. I don't even know what the fuck panache means, but you do you. Anyway, what do you think?
1: Well, I think that does, that digs into what we were saying before, Is that this film isn't necessarily about faith so much as it is just about meaning and that desperate hunt for meaning. So. Yes, you can be like, oh, the preachy bits are really preachy, but that's if you are looking at it through that lens and if you are kind of coming at this with that pre-given intention of, oh, well, this is a character who is an ex-reverend, so of course this is going to be about religion, and we go from there, which if I was to watch the film with that initial mindset, I myself would probably be annoyed at moments of it. But because it doesn't ever actually set itself up as that and establish itself as that in as hard and... Um, kind of aggressive a way as this reviewer seems to believe I don't think we can be that. oh this is too preachy now the patriarchal thing linking it to Road to Peridition is an interesting one I don't think I'd ever double bill their movies together but certainly <laughs> I can see what they're trying to say there but that doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad thing and mm-hmm. then on the flip side looking at this in comparison to the Mothman prophecies I like The Mothman Prophecies. It's an interesting film. There's some unique ideas within it, but it's nowhere near as kind of on the level of science. And to me, it kind of sold me off of it when it said, oh, this is taking an interesting B-movie idea and doing this with it. Well, it was never this B-movie idea because as we said before, the aliens aren't the story focus. They're the background. How about yourself?
0: Yeah, I just feel like... Hey, I don't think this movie is preachy at I all. I, first of all, it's kind of like what we already said. I don't think this is so much a story about faith or lack of faith or struggle with faith as it is about just giving a little bit of meaning behind your life and everyday actions. Because you're right. Like, Graham, yes, him's faith. But the brother, whose name I forgot, I'm sorry. I think it's like, what was the name? Who Mal. Was? Mal, there we go. His thing is like, I was like more than just baseball. It's like career. I feel like he's lost yeah. his career and doesn't really know what to do. And I feel like that's the one that we all relate to. Right, I feel we're all sadly stuck looking to find a career in something. So that one I found quite related. The kid with the mom and and even the bow. Like I feel like I feel like she's just living like girl. I can't even drink water. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so yeah I don't I don't really think and even with the religious stuff I don't think it's preachy at all like he doesn't first of all he's kind of anti-religion to be for a lot of it and we never get a sense of oh god was there all a lot like the conjuring this is not (laughs) (laughs) I love the conjuring but you know what I mean like the conjuring you could argue is preachy in the sense that it is talking about religion as fact and how amazing and benevolent the church is whereas this is just none of that at all in fact, it almost goes against it. So I don't think it's preachy in its faithness. So I don't know. And I haven't seen the Muslim prophecies, so I can't really comment on that. But I will take your word on that. The patriarchal thing, I don't know. It's interesting. But I don't know that this is particularly, like, I, I know we've, it's mostly man in the movie, but I don't know that it's, like there were in a way the wife has much bigger grasp on all of them than any of the men do i don't know i don't i feel like i need to like really rewatch the movie with that sort of point in mind to get into it because it didn't really jump out as something that was a part of the movie yeah so i don't know maybe there is i just didn't really it's not something that jumped out at me so i can't really like give you any thought on it right now because i feel like that's a very big topic
1: <laughs> no it's a massive one massive massive
0: Anyways, review two is nice and short and very hateful, so I think you're, uh, it'll be easy for us. And it's by Tony Medley for TonyMedley.com. We love a self-reviewing <laughs> website, like self-titled website. Anyway, he said, This movie is devoid of everything. There's nothing funny. I saw nothing scary. There's nothing to deduce. There's no real plot except survival. There's no lesson. It's dark. There's a lot of worrisome talk. The one good thing about this movie is it's over in one hour and 47 minutes. The bad thing is to think what a terrible waste of time it was for an hour and 47 minutes. Wow. I mean... We, we disagree? <laughs> heavily disagree,
1: I think. You can just rewind this back to any point in this podcast if you want to hear our thoughts on that review. Um, yeah, that's, that's just... Ouch. <laughs> yeah. i mean it's yeah oh, on. just for, i mean for the scariness itself like i'm sorry but that the moment where the alien walks out from the bushes has and always will be terrifying it's so scary uh, this is yeah it's
0: got it's got look it's got plenty of scares i think scary funny very subjective so I can't really argue against it like if you find it scary or you don't that's really just up to you there's nothing I can argue about but I can say most people generally find this movie rather unsettling at best like at at worst and that jump scare of the camera and the thing coming out is always if you watch a watch mojo of the top 10 jump scares it's gonna be there (laughs) (laughs) so I don't know bro I'm sorry you didn't like this movie I don't I found it really funny. I found it really scary. Well, I didn't find it really scary, but I found it tense enough. So, moving on. (laughs) Swiftly. This is by our fave, Peter Bradshaw of The Guardian. And this is a little long, but I thought it'd be best to keep it because he touches on something that I actually didn't even clock, but it's so true. So, just bear with. There's something else of interest too: guns or the luck of them. Laughingly, Mel Gibson and Joaquin Phoenix seem to be the only farmers in America who don't have guns. Almost any other kind of film about alien invasion would show the farmers getting tooled up with every kind of shooter they can lay their hands on. The recent Neo B-movie eight-legged freaks showed the humans blasting happily away with every firearm known to man. But strangely, it never crosses our heroes' minds to wonder if the rumored little green men might be susceptible to a bit of good old-fashioned lead poisoning. The only weapons they do wield are a kitchen knife and an all-American baseball bat. Mel and his family demonstrate a very quietist approach to an alien force trespassing on their property. Could it be that they represent an American which wishes? Which sorry, could it be that they represent an American which wishes to broadcast the moral superiority of its victim status? Arguably, but in any event, Shyamalan has directed a film without the novelty and ingenuity of his first two. What is left is a derivative, underpowered picture. This talented and a 32 very young director must now find new ideas, maybe working with someone else's scripts because his filmmaking identity is in danger of fading. A bunch of stuff I thought, I thought was really interesting. The gone thing, I, I think, is really interesting. And also, it's just... I just thought it was funny because he's already like, is your filmmaking identity in danger? And it's like, boy, if he were only knew.
1: The official was um, um, kind of self-fulfilling prophecy there for Shyamalan, it seems.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, what do you think about the guns and lack of them? So,
1: to me, I, I get that. I get that it does feel a bit weird. Why aren't they just arming up? But at the same time, he is a priest, or he is a reverend, and so mayhaps he didn't feel that violence was the you know, best solution there. We, you know, we're saying, oh, he would definitely have a gun, but he may not. Um, and I think that the removal of guns in this instance kind of makes things feel more tactile. It makes things feel more down-to-earth in the sense of everything feels that you have to get up close and personal with this. You need to confront it head-on as opposed to being far away and just shooting at it. Um, And it just adds a bit of weight to things. You know, you don't really see guns throughout the whole film, so you don't really, really think about it. Even when he's in the army base, it's not like there's like a big M16 on the wall. It just it all feels very, it's not there to begin with, so I'm not spending the whole time thinking about it. If I was to mm-hmm. dig into it and be like, oh, well, there's no guns in this, and they could have done this. In that same instance, how would guns change this scenario at all? Because mm-hmm. it would it would be one conversation of, oh, should we get a gun? No, maybe not. Done. To me, that yeah, doesn't, I, yeah. Oh, sorry, go on. Oh, no, that was it. To me, that just doesn't seem mm. necessary.
0: Yeah, I feel like the reason I just thought it was really interesting is because you could just say, "Oh, this movie isn't thinking about it in the same." Because I've seen a criticism online of, um, which isn't in any of the reviews, but why would aliens who are allergic to water go to a world where like it's like seventy percent water? But it's like that's the whole point—they leave. Yeah, <laughs> they just didn't realize. Like sometimes you don't know that you're allergic to something until you have it. So I've, I always thought of it as that way because they're not. They seem clever, but they don't seem like particularly technologically. I don't know. It's it's enough mystery that I uh, that I um that I believe that they wouldn't know about the water thing. So I don't think the lack of guns is a lack of logic over like they just didn't think about it. It feels like just like you said, a very um, deliberate choice to have these characters face these things up close and personal, which just kind of goes to the whole point of them going back and coming to terms with what's happening like when his wife died he didn't just like usually I feel like if your wife gets killed in a car crash and you're not with her it's usually a in-person visit but you don't get to see her whereas he actually had to go and face her up like really up close and that just kind of feels like a mirror to that so I feel like the lack of guns is just a very thematic choice that I think works much in its favor now could you imagine how jarring it would have been? if they just pull out like a fucking shotgun, it It would have broken. Yeah. It would have broken that tone and that sort of somberness of the whole movie. I don't, I don't think it would work at all. And like, yes, farmers realistically would have a gun, but especially in America, but I just don't think it like, regardless of the priest thing, I just feel like it just doesn't fit this movie. Even the aliens don't have guns. They don't even, the aliens aren't even violent in terms of like, they don't hit you or come at you. They just, they throw a little gas. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's very, in a weird way, it's a very non-conflict invasion. So I thought it was particularly interesting. I didn't really think it was like a black, like now that you brought it to my attention, Peter Bradshaw, I actually like the movie more. <laughs> <laughs> um. But yeah, I will say in terms of his comment about this being derivative and underpowered, I think it's, Uh, Then the other two, again, I haven't seen Unbreakable, so I don't know. But in terms of The Sixth Sense, it does feel a little bit more derivative than The Sixth Sense. But I feel like that is the point. The whole movie is about lack of direction in its characters. So it kind of makes sense that the plot doesn't really go anywhere. Because it's not a plot first movie. It's a character first movie in my head. If anything, this is one of those um, post-narrative films. But like way back in the early 2000s when that (laughs) was not a thing. Think about it. If this movie, if if this movie came out now and you slapped A twenty four in front of it, would you not have been like, oh my god, what an what an interesting take. Like I love it. <laughs> be
1: brilliant. If you did four by three as well, it was just Yeah.
0: Oh, uh, it would have like hereditary ho. Anyways. <laughs> Review for this is a shorter one. Um, another self-titled Dennis Schwartz for Dennis Schwartzmovereviews.com. To show you how serious a filmmaker is in his alien story, the book's author is named Dr. Bimbo. Meanwhile, Meryl at first believes it's nerds who don't have girlfriends who thought up this prank and have formed a worldwide conspiracy, but later sides with the kids that it's extraterrestrials after seeing Green Man on TV report. None of these arguments are done with any conviction, and the serious emotional trauma of the man of the cloth losing his faith over a crisis in his life doesn't seem all that convincing either. Um, I think, just so you know, the review was really long, so I just pulled this part out, but main, basically the main gist is that he just finds, like, there's not really any realness or like tact to the story and the, the plot and the like arguments in the movie. I think again, that's a,
1: I can see how you can approach it with that lens of, Oh, Mel kind of just um, shifts from this to that. But you kind of see through the character of Mel that he is again, like we spoke about time and time again, he's desperately searching for something. So, You know, our first real time with him alone, he's looking to sign up for the army. And it's not because of, oh, he's got some like real desperate drive to it because he looks about in his late 20s, if not early 30s. So he's not, he's not always wanting to join the army. It's just that he's at the point now where he's like, I need something to cling on to. And so he can cling on to this idea that, oh, these crop circles are just fake. They're just nerds who don't have girlfriends. And, but then when it happens and when he hears things and when he that the baby monitor start um going off, which again, amazing shot. But when he sees all that, then he just clings onto it because it's another form of there's something else and he can derive meaning from it. He can derive meaning from this being a real thing. And it's not that, oh, now he's just someone who works at a gas station anymore. It's now he's someone who is actively almost caught up in this alien investigation. You know, even when, um graham comes in and he's like oh you can see that the birds flew over here and then they fell down and he's he really becomes invested in it almost instantly because it's, it's something to do and that's what it feels like to me it's not that oh we're separated from it and we've spoken enough times about how with mel gibson's character it doesn't feel like oh it's a loss of faith it's more that it's just a loss of reason to exist but i think with mel specifically there is a lot of emotional integrity behind that and behind these changes where it doesn't feel flat or that there wasn't done with any deft hand. It feels like this is just this character existing within this world. How about yourself?
0: Yeah, I agree. I feel like um I mean I think you summed it up pretty well. I I do also just see it as this is just how this world and these characters deal with things and they're I don't know, I I personally found it very convincing. I think that's that's the problem dennis shorts didn't find this convincing i thought it was convincing especially like i do believe that Merrill would say the stuff about the nerds with no girlfriends um and then come around to it it just kind of makes sense for that kind of character and it, that sort of character arc that they're setting up for him where he's going to be the like you know like the he's almost like he's not really a bad guy at all but he is kind of like the badder guy from all of them right like he's a bit more rash like he cur- like he was telling graham to curse and everything and it was like really bad so yeah. do you know what i mean so i i feel like i don't know it makes sense for me it makes sense I, I found it very satisfying as a character arc i found it convincing so i don't really have any much else to add other than sorry bro i disagree <laughs> <laughs> incredible and incredible yeah that's that's our critic review section done
1: Amazing. So then, final thoughts. Obviously, I think mine's simple enough on second thought. This film is you should watch this film again and again and again. It's a yearly rewatch for me, if not six monthly. But how oh, wow. about yourself?
0: Um On second thoughts, uh definitely watch it for a second time. I think you get a lot out of it. I mean there's like a decade in between my two viewings. <laughs> oh. But I I don't know I have really liked it I again I do have a few problems with it but it's ultimately it's they they kind of they're they're more nitpicks than anything I think it's great sci-fi um, that explores really deeply it's characters it's a small cast which I really appreciate in this kind of movies there's only literally like four that you have to keep track of five really if you count the police officer um, I don't know, I really liked it. I thought it was very effective, very subtle, which I really appreciate. very unique take on the alien invasion. Um, Like I said, had you slapped an A24 in front of it and released it now, the movie would have been... I think no one would have really argued against it, personally. Because it's it's quaint, it's quiet, it's tense, it's funny, and it's a good time. I liked it.
1: Definitely, definitely. Well then... Final question for you, Sixo, before we wrap up and say our goodbyes. So aliens have invaded. They've reached your farmhouse. And thankfully, your daughter has, you know, an aversion to tap water. (laughs) But what do you do?
0: Um, So have they broken into my house yet?
1: Mm, They are breaking in.
0: Then hopefully, since I am a farmer... In the modern times, I will have an irrigation system, so I will just turn on the irrigation, and then those fuckers have nowhere to go. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) no, the film...
1: You can't set this film in the the, 2010s. No, you can't. Even past 2002, you probably couldn't.
0: Yeah, all you need is a hose, and it's over.
1: (laughs) Oh, who Um, would have thought? Who would have thought? Well, mm -hmm. thank you, everyone, for listening this has been on second thought as always we will continue to be here to question argue and debate while why you should watch things that people maybe tell you you shouldn't and Mm -hmm. yeah if you are you know interested to know more you can find us well where can people find you six though
0: um you can find me on six things i hate on letterboxd youtube and twitch I would also, I mean, honestly, also on Instagram and Twitter, but like, I'm having a bit of a cleanse of deleted the apps off my phone. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, follow me in Letterboxd, it's fun. Follow me on Twitch, it's fun. Follow me on YouTube, it's fun. What about yourself, Sam?
1: Nice. So, well, as always, you know, I like to spend my days in crop fields, um, being <laughs> one of these these so-called nerds who can't get girlfriends, although in my case, the opposite. But still, I like to um, go around you know, and... You have
0: had a girlfriend for, like, as long as I've known you. <laughs> yeah. But still, that doesn't
1: stop me from wanting to put these boards down and putting crop circles everywhere. I need people to know. I need people to know that there is something out there bigger than myself. Um, but outside of that, you can find me on Letterboxd as well at Corey Buchanan. Um, I am setting up a Twitter account. I'm just very, very slow at doing so. But yeah, look for me in the cornfields because that's the easiest place to find... Or, at Mexican birthday parties, hiding behind bushes, slowly waiting to come out when the camera comes out. You know, either one of these two really work for me.
0: Mm-hmm. Amazing. Uh, other than that, Sam, start watching The Genesis. That's I will important.
1: do. I definitely, definitely will do. It's really good. It's amazing. So good. Well, Anyways. do let me know your opinion on Old as well. Sixty, I am excited to hear about that. And maybe, I will. I maybe will. when that comes out, we'll have another podcast ready just for that.
0: Yeah, once the Blu-ray pops. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right, it's been Incredible. amazing. Um, see you guys next time. See you guys.